I'm Chris Kresser, and this is Revolution Health Radio. Hey everybody, Chris Kresser here. I hope this podcast and my blog and books have been helpful resources for you, and will continue to be. But if you've been struggling with a chronic health problem and are feeling stuck, consider coming to work with my team and me at the California Center for Functional Medicine. We work with patients all over the U.S. and have experience treating a wide range of conditions, including GI problems, autoimmunity, hypothyroidism, cognitive mood and behavioral issues, weight gain and metabolic dysfunction, and more. Our unique model teams, clinicians with nurse practitioners and health coaches, all of whom are trained in my ADAPT framework approach to provide a high level of care to our patients. This means more support between appointments, personalized guidance on diet, lifestyle, and behavior change, a cutting edge patient portal with 24 seven access to your labs and records, handouts and resources to guide your protocols, and a team of practitioners working together on your case. We're currently accepting new patients, so if you'd like to learn more, visit chriscresser.com slash become a patient. Hey everybody, it's Chris Cresser. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Health Radio. Really excited about the interview this week. I'm going to be talking with Dr. Joe Mercola. Dr. Mercola is trained as a board-certified family physician and treated over 10,000 patients before transitioning to focusing full-time on his website 22 years ago. It has been the most visited natural health site on the web for the last 15 years. He's had many best-selling books, but his latest book on keto, Fat for Fuel, was the number one book sold in the U.S. when it was launched in May of 2017. Now, Dr. Mercola has a new book out called Keto Fast, and I'm really looking forward to talking with him about it because uh, when I read it, he sent me an advanced review copy. I was pleased to see that his approach to ketogenic diet and intermittent fasting and fasting is very similar to my own and what I've arrived at through my own experimentation and also through working with hundreds of patients uh, in this combination of keto and fasting and he has a lot of the same concerns that I do regarding ongoing ketogenic dieting in, in many people and in extended water fasting in many people and he, I really love the way that he's put it together into a cyclical approach with uh, cycles of intermittent fasting and ketosis and I think a safer and uh, more tolerable way of getting the benefits of fasting without doing extended water fasting. So um, hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Let's dive in. Dr. Joe Mercola, thank you so much for being here. I've been looking forward to this for some time. Well, it's a great pleasure to be with you, and I want to, before we begin, thank you so much for representing our views on Joe Rogan and really helping the world understand the truth about uh, natural medicine. Oh, thank you for that. It was, uh, it was arduous, but hopefully worth it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm excited to talk about uh, fasting, ketogenic diet, and in particular, the approach you've outlined in your most recent book. And... Before we do that, I would love to just hear, you know, what, what took you down this road personally? You know, how did you get interested in, uh, originally in ketogenic diets and fasting? And, and then how did you arrive uh, where you are now? Well, I was motivated to start keto because of the buzz about it a few years ago. And I wrote a book, Fat for Fuel, several years ago. It's actually the week it was launched was the best selling, the number one selling book in the entire country awesome. by the Nielsen rating. So I was convinced of the value of that approach metabolically and experienced some side effects from, from starting it myself and you know, learned by trial and error. I learned there's some things that you should not do. And then I became to appreciate that fasting, com- complete multi-day water fasting, typically five days or so, was one of the most powerful metabolic interventions I'd ever st- seen and witness clinically. And of course, historically, it's been used for thousands of years and virtually every major religion on the planet integrates yeah. into the approach. So it seemed to make sense. But then, so I was, so I wanted to follow up on my book, Fat for Fuel. It was going to combine that with multi-day water fasting. And then I, then, and, and, and that was the intention of the book. Mm-hmm. And when I started to research it, I, re- I realized that I was wrong. Mm. So 
uh, I modified it significantly to obtain the most amount of benefit you can with the least amount of work. Right. Okay. Yeah. Which is and, and potential downsides, which we'll talk about. Yeah. Because um, that's definitely been my experience as a clinician too. It's it's really interesting that when you look at the research on fasting, it's like a miracle cure. You know, yeah. you, you can yeah. find studies for fasting for just about every chronic disease, and, and you know, from severe autoimmune diseases to mm-hmm. cancer to uh, any inflammatory condition. But of course, fasting. Uh, we can't do it forever. <laughs> and, no, and no, you, no, you can't. <laughs> but, but the more frequently you can, the better benefits you get. Right. And even, let me just interrupt by saying that there's one benefit that I neglected to mention in the book, but, uh, mm-hmm. but I realized after writing it is that it's, the fasting benefits on your sleep yes. are extraordinary. Do you wear an aura ring at all? Or? I do, yeah. All right, mm-hmm. so then you know that when the days that you're fasting, Oh my gosh, your, your, your readiness score goes to the roof. Yeah, it's pretty incredible that all that tissue repair, which I, I definitely want to do a deeper dive into that. But you have a section in your book on the history of fasting, which I think is, is interesting um, because it's, it's been around for a really long time. You, know, you could say it's maybe one of the original health interventions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's no question. It's been used for thousands of years. I mean, we've got Plato and Hippocrates promoting it, you know, 2,000 years ago. It started in the U.S. about the 1800s with the natural hygiene movement. Right. It didn't really become popular until Herbert uh, Shelton started, popularized it in 1911, about 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, today we've got Alan Goldhammer out in uh, your neck of the woods in the True North Clinic in Northern California yep. who that, that have fasted more people than anywhere in North America, 16,000 people from anywhere from five to 40 days. Mm. Yeah. And, and there's, you know, a lot of other benefits too, of course. I think for me personally, just looking at my relationship with food, you know, which, which fasting illuminates and not cooking and cleaning, I have to say. I I appreciate that a lot on a day when I'm busy and, you know, allows me, I have to, you know, I love food probably as much as anybody I know and and cooking and food preparation. And I'm I'm a total foodie, but I have to say that occasionally I just get tired of the whole process. And I'm actually surprised to hear that. I didn't think, I thought you'd be a little more oblivious to it. You'd be one of the people you live to to live, but... um, no, I'm. Uh, I love food. I mean, I'm. A, I, I cook all the time. I, I love going to farmers markets. I'm. I'm a total foodie. But I, there are times where I need a break from it, and I love what fasting does for that too. So let's talk a little bit about some of the mechanisms of fasting. I've touched on this sure. in, in previous shows, but you go. You do a pretty deep dive in that in your book. Um, so you talk about autophagy, of course, mm-hmm. um, and several others. So and there's been a lot of focus on stem cells and other ways of addressing stem cells, which maybe are not quite as safe or as, as well proven at this point. So why uh, would we consider fasting in terms of, you know, the cellular benefits? Sure. Well, is the, I think one of the most important ones is this, the issue with the sleep, which I just mentioned. So we, I mean, sleep is per, close to, if not nearly as important as getting the food right. Yeah. Uh, and many people don't appreciate that. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure, I mean, you're not one of them, I know, but mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people don't. I certainly didn't until I read Matthew Walker's book. And he, yeah, interestingly, book. he just did a good interview, two hour interview with Rhonda Patrick that, on, mm-hmm. on her podcast mm-hmm. about it. But it's, it's powerful. But getting back to autophagy, you know, and I'm sure almost everyone listening to this has heard it before, but let me just summarize it before because some maybe have not heard it previously. So it's, in my viewpoint, the primary reason why you want to fast and, and what does it is to activate autophagy. And what does autophagy mean? It means that your body uh, essentially identifies defective and dysfunctional cellular parts, not whole cells, because the process for that is called apoptosis. But mm-hmm. these cellular parts, these organelles, it targets them and then it lysosomes uh, latch onto them and they release these digestive enzymes to break it down to its constituent elements, you know, amino acids and fatty acids, and then it recycles them into new parts. And that's yeah. the other benefit is that you get regeneration, which is what you get 
after you fast. So there's it, the magic of fasting really, it, I mean, certainly there's some of the experiences you mentioned, you say the time, effort, and energy, your mental clarity improves, but the primary benefit is when you refeed and you give your body the raw materials to rebuild new cellular parts. I don't think that's well understood, actually. And I think I, I really loved how clear you made that in your book. Um, and especially when it comes to refeeding, which we'll talk about earlier, is one of the ways of addressing the potential downsides uh, and, and of fasting and doing it cyclically. That I, I don't think it's well understood that the, some of the main benefits you get from fasting occur only when you start eating again. That's right. And, yeah. and, and that's one of many reasons why I don't recommend long fast because you don't get as many cycles in there. Right. And, the, and in addition to when you're fasting, as I mentioned with the sleep, your readiness score goes to the roof. That, what does that mean? That means you're able to really work out hard and you have the mm -hmm. energy to do it. Mm -hmm. And so I almost every, I, I do this keto fasting twice a week and the days I, I do it the days before I work out hard on my strength training. Right. So then, and then I, you know, I do that fasting and then I go and have lots of protein, lots of carbs. And, and, and it just is a, a fabulous way to improve your, your metabolic health. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I want to get a lot more into the different ways to do it in a little bit, because I think that's, that's where the, the magic happens, you know, how you actually set it up and, and make it work and, and cycle it in, along with your training regimen, et cetera. But another thing I think we're both interested in in terms of fasting is gut health. So yeah. I see a lot of patients who have SIBO and, you know, all kinds of long-term GI issues. And maybe they've done several treatments for SIBO. They've taken rifaximin and we've done botanical protocols and other strategies. And either it goes away for some time and comes back or it never goes away at all. And I've become increasingly interested in fasting as a and ketogenic diet and cyclical keto and fasting as a tool for addressing these conditions. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more because, uh, and I'm not sure that anyone understands exactly the mechanism, but more than likely it's a jumpstart to your microbiome health. It, mm -hmm. improves, it improves the diversity and it helps repair some of the uh, leaky gut issues where these you have these uh, essentially spaces within the membranes and in the intestine where uh, large molecules can leak through and cause major problems. So it, it really facilitates healing of that permeability through this uh, brain-gut pathway and enhances the integrity of your gut lining. So I like it for that purpose. It's just, it's sort of a side benefit. I don't look at it as one of the main benefits, but it's, a, yeah. it's so many people suffer with this issue. So it's a really- helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, we know from the research that the elemental diet, which- it, I'm not recommending here, and you know, it, but it's the most effective treatment for SIBO. And I think what happens with the elemental diet is even more powerful with fasting. You're just giving, you're starving the bacteria that are overgrown in the small intestine. If mm -hmm. you're not giving them any food source, they can't proliferate, and that's it. Turns out more effective even than antibiotics. So it's I'm, I'm curious to do. Uh, we occasionally have been using. Ubiome and other labs to do serial testing of the microbiome with interventions like this. So I had an idea when I was reading your book that maybe we'll put some patients on the keto fast approach and do some before and after testing with mm -hmm. Ubiome and see how see see what we can detect. Yeah, please update me on that. That sounds like an interesting uh, study. Absolutely. All right, so we've talked a little bit about the history of fasting, the mechanisms of fasting and why it works. What about safety and contraindications? Because you see, you know, there's a lot of, I think, misleading claims made about fasting, like it's really dangerous. And, um, and on, on the other hand, there, I think there's also some irresponsible claims made about fasting and not enough attention in some ways about who shouldn't do it. So where, where do you come down on this? Well, thank you for bringing that to everyone's attention, because sometimes it's something I failed to, to mention. But you are absolutely correct. Fasting is not for everyone, at least uh, partial fasting. There's certainly multi-water day fasting. And who, mm -hmm. But that's a relatively small minority of people. And who are those people? People who are underweight, who don't yeah. have enough uh, body mass, would obviously, would sort of obviously not want to fast. Mm -hmm. Or if you have an eating disorder, that would only exacerbate it. And then uh, those, who, if someone's pregnant or even right. nursing, 
Yeah. So, you know, th- those aren't, a, that's not a large number of people, pr- no. probably far less than 5%, my guess even less than 1% of the population. Yeah. Yeah. Just good to know, you know, I've had pregnant women ask and nursing women ask me about fasting. So I always like to make that clear because when you're pregnant or nursing, you're really trying to build up, you know, the, and, and feed the, the growing baby. That's the, mm-hmm. the priority there. Yeah. Uh, but of course, anabolism is, anabolism is the key. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. And, and that's but, the beautiful thing about fasting is you cycle between anabolism and catabolism and virtually mm-hmm. no one's doing that. And I'm sure you're familiar with Sachin Panda's work yeah, yep. where 90% of people are eating more than 12 hours a day. And that isn't even yeah. sufficient for intermittent fasting. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a constant grazing that's happening. The cyclical thing is really interesting to me because I know you and I both really appreciate the ancestral perspective. And if you think about like what likely happened in a natural and evolutionary environment, they're, they're, people were not voluntarily uh, fasting, but they had natural periods of food scarcity. And then those periods of food scarcity were naturally followed by periods of food abundance after they killed an animal or something like that. So our bodies evolved in this environment of cyclical periods of food scarcity and food abundance. And it it makes sense that our metabolic machinery would be adapted to work that way. So I love how this approach really mimics that. Yeah, and you know, sadly, Chris, I don't think there's many approaches that are replicating this this pattern. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just like it's an all or none component. You're doing right. keto all the time, or you don't do it. And maybe some people are doing cyclical keto, but the integration and the partial fasting is, I think, the missing key piece. I, that's where we agree a hundred percent on this too. I was so happy to see your book because that's the approach I had naturally settled on in my clinic because I had seen actually a lot of the downsides of you know, 24 seven ketogenic dieting and, and excessive fasting. So I know that you experienced some of those yourself. You mentioned that let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about some of the downsides of, of ongoing keto uh, and, and ongoing, you know, the dark sides of water fasting. Well, they're two separate issues, but because uh, if you're doing keto continuously, as some people advocate, I think most people are going to run into problems primarily uh, with their hormone systems and and specifically your thyroid. You develop some thyroid resistance, but then you're you're really in this constant catabolic phase where you're just breaking down your body and that's good, but you need to build it up. And, you know, and the common belief is certainly was what I understood when I first started that this was like the diet you should be on forever. And I, I learned really quickly, it's a bad idea because after a few months you start losing muscle mass which is not a good strategy, especially as you're aging and sarcopenia just kicks in almost yeah. relentlessly. Yeah. So, you know, that's the, the primary component. And, you, and then you're, that regeneration component, the feasting part is missing. Yeah. And, and that is the, the, the massive, um, uh, almost magical benefits you get by integrating that in a cyclical passion. Yeah, I've, I've also seen even with people who are who had phenomenal results with keto for weight loss initially that they get a plateau or even um, start to move back in the other direction. And it was it's been in some ways challenging for me to my approach with them was usually to actually have them start eating more carbohydrate, which seemed counterintuitive to them because they had such great results, you know, mm-hmm. from doing keto initially. But that can often kickstart the weight loss process again. And I think you've explained why in the, in the book in terms of the, how all of those mechanisms that get engaged when you start the refeeding process. Right. And then what about, you know, water fasting, you know, that we, we, this is a powerful strategy. Uh, mm-hmm. It's something that's got a lot of history behind it, but what are some of the downsides there? Well, one of the primary downsides is that it made a lot of sense historically, and that's why it was done for thousands of years, and it's still done. But we live in a different century, the 21st century, that didn't exist previously, obviously, and one of the major uh, contributions within the last 100 years is that we've had the the chemical industry make loads of chemicals, tens of thousands of different chemicals. And most of these chemicals are fat-soluble. And being fat-soluble, they tend to wind up being stored, not metabolized, but stored in your fat cells. So when you do this multi-day water fasting, 
uh, especially without eating any food, you're doing two things. One is you're liberating the toxins. And most people, and I know you have great experience with this, mm-hmm. do not, are not metabolically healthy enough to metabolize those toxins. Yeah. As a result, they have the side effects. As almost everyone's aware of people who are water fasting, they, have, you know, they feel miserable. Right. It's largely, I believe, as a result of these liberated toxins that are not properly metabolized and excreted. Mm-hmm. So that's one. The other as a clinician, you're deeply aware of this too, is compliance. Yeah. <laughs> compliance for this in the general population is well under 1%. You're, you're going to have to almost kill someone before they're going to want yeah. multi-day water fasting. It's so true. it's just a pragmatic approach. Yeah. So those are the two big ones. But uh, another practical one, is that if you're going to do a multi-day water fasting, I mean, unless you're massively overweight, and there's some people who have lost three, 400 pounds on, on doing that, mm-hmm. you know, you're only going to be able to do it a few times a year. Uh, initially, you might be able to do it five, six, seven times the first year, but after that, probably not more than once a quarter, which right. means you're only going to cycle in and out and get these re- the refeed benefits like five times a year, mm-hmm. which is like virtually clinically insignificant. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you'll get some really great benefit when you refeed, but you can't have to refeed differently when you haven't been eating for a few days. But if you're doing this, the keto fast, you can do that a hundred times a year. Yeah. It's pretty and you amazing. Get if you're doing it twice, twice a, week. a week. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. So let's, yeah, let's talk about, let's go into this now. And, and why don't you define keto fasting for everybody? And then we'll kind of talk, get into some of the nitty gritty details about how you sequence it with your exercise routines and, and also how you transition into it. Cause I, I, I like how you provided a kind of on-ramp for people who've never, you know, who, who don't have experience with this so that they're avoiding some of the potential downsides if, if they just start whole hog. Yeah. I, well, I don't think you can start whole hog and, uh, the you have to be metabolically flexible your body has to have the capacity to burn fat as a primary fuel and over 80 percent of the people in this country as you're well aware of are insulin resistant and these people cannot do keto fasting initially they have to transition into it through a program of doing calorie restriction and and my favorite of course is intermittent fasting Mm -hmm. so uh and it's not just a 12 hour because i don't think Virtually any benefits occur at 12 hour. It probably starts at 14, but I think you're going to get most of the benefits from 16 to 18 hours of, of, of a window where you're not eating. So otherwise eating within a six to eight hour window a day, yeah. but which is the exact opposite of what most people eat. <laughs> they're, <laughs> that's, that's they're not eating for hours. Yeah, for sure. And during that intermittent fast period, you know, there are a lot of different ways that are recommended to do this. Some recommend just, you know, water and, and non-caloric beverages only like black coffee or black teas. Others mm-hmm. say it's okay to eat, you know, to have a little bit of fat in, in the coffee or tea during the intermittent fast period. Where do you land on that? I like to, I'd like to go with the no calories because I really want to try to get as much benefit from autophagy and any certain, certainly most calories will tend to inhibit autophagy. But in the transition period, the initial four week phase that I recommend that everyone do, and unless they've been doing it, like you could start this thing this week because you're mm-hmm. doing it. Yeah. But, but if you haven't done that, then you need to, to essentially work up to the point where you're only eating within six to eight hours and then do that for four straight weeks. Now, during that transition phase, I think it's okay to have a little food and snacks, especially the coconut oil or MCT oil if, and if you're feeling fatigued because you know your body needs to become metabolically flexible and you aren't yet. So you're going to need some fuel source and, and those types of fats will rapidly be absorbed and, and converted to energy so you'll feel better but right. do you know do it once you're doing it then i don't think it's wise to at least from my perspective right so you compress your eating window to six to eight hours for one month and you know you that's uh, no calories during that period unless you need a transition period uh where you're you're having some maybe a little bit of fat during that time and then then what What's step two? Well, this is what I, I, I've learned from trial and error. So let's say you've done, you have a six hour eating window. So you're, you, yeah. your first meal is at 9 a.m. in the morning, your last meal is at six. I mean, sorry, at three. Three, three yeah. So uh, uh, the one caveat in that 
intermittent feeding window is to, or is to make sure that you're eating their last meal is at least three hours before bedtime, which mm-hmm. can be a social challenge for many people. But I yeah. think metabolically, that's what your goal is. And if it is, if you do eat a meal in that time, make it really, really light. Right. You do not want a lot of energy when you're sleeping. That is an unwise time to load your body with fuel. So your, your last meal was at three o'clock in the afternoon. You come around to eat breakfast a day uh, at, at nine, which would be the normal day, that, the time that you would eat. So instead of eating your regular meal, you only have like one meal. And that meal is about it's anywhere from three to 500 calories. Essentially, you take your lean body mass and you multiply times 3.5, and then you come up with the calories. So, and that's your meal for the day and you don't eat anything else for 24 more hours. So essentially you're doing a partial fast of 42 hours on say 500 calories. And that is the magic. And, and I'll refine the details in a moment, but cause I've been intermittently fasting for six hours for years now, and I don't lose weight when I intermittent fast, assuming that I'm eating my appropriate amount of calories. Right. But the moment I do a partial fast, I'll lose anywhere from three to five pounds. Mm. Yeah, the, the next day, which is a yeah. good thing. Most of it's water, of course. It's not yeah. lean body mass; it's water. But it's you yeah. still lose, you don't lose that weight when you're intermittently fasting. Right. So that that's a strong suggestion that there's something very significant going on clinically when you do this. Okay, so that's your keto fast day. So you've been you've been intermittent fasting for a while. You're fat adapted, and you add a keto fast day, you're eating between 300 and 600 calories, depending on your lean body mass. And you, you go through this very clearly in the book. There's a great chart actually that takes you through this, which, which I found to be very helpful. Well, let, let me be specific on the, what those, that food is though. Yeah. We've actually have an accompanying keto fast cookbook, which where you can actually create meals that are designed to do this. Yeah. But uh, what I do to simplify it is, and I've actually modified it somewhat since the book was published is that 50% of those calories, I believe, should be protein uh-huh. because that's going to fuel your detoxification system. Mm-hmm. So anywhere from you know, 20 to 50 grams or so. But here's the key. that And okay, let me finish this off. So you got protein, but you maybe have less than, certainly less than 20 grams of carbs, ideally less than 10 and, less, and the same amount of fat. So relatively small amount of fat and carbs and protein. But it's a very specific type of protein. This is not a hamburger. This is not really even meat. This is plant-based protein for the most part, except the exception would be, collagen, which is very, very low in branch chain amino acids, which will stimulate mTOR, which is the last thing you want to have when you're trying to activate autophagy because those branch chains will activate mTOR and inhibit autophagy. So Mm -hmm. uh, collagen has virtually none of the branch chains and plant-based proteins. Like we've got a vegan-based protein powder that I absolutely love. So I have that, some collagen and some chlorella to to make up those protein on those days. Okay. So you're eating a certain amount of protein, you're keeping the carbs under 20 grams or even 10, and then the remainder of whatever your calorie is between 300 to 600 would be fat. Yes. Okay. So then you you do that. And then is your refeed day the next day? It is the next day, but there's there's one more caution Mm -hmm. Um, because most people are taking supplements and many people have identified themselves as having an MDH, MTHR genetic SNP. Yeah. So they're taking methylfolate or methyl B12. So on those, the day that you're keto fasting is the day that you do not, do not take methylfolate, do not take methyl B12. And that why is because those are pretty much anabolic supplements. These are supplements that pregnant women take to build their baby. So Mm -hmm. the last thing you want to do is stimulate anabolism. You want to stimulate catabolism. So don't take any methyl B12 or B or methylfolate or colostrum uh, would also do something similar or even ketone supplements, ketone esters, because what happens, it's really interesting. The ketones uh, essentially break down to butyric acid or butyrate, and the butyrate will actually increase acetyl-coenzyme A, which also inhibits autophagy. So just let your body make its own ketones. You don't take any extras. Yeah. 
Okay, so we've got those cautions um, for the fast day, and then how do you approach the refeed day? Oh, the refeed day is the feast day. <laughs> <laughs> the fun day, yeah. There's, there's not too many limits on it. You just have, other than the high quality foods, mm-hmm. but you, I would go crazy with the branch chains. That's the days I have mm-hmm. the whey protein. I have right. lots of whey protein. That's the, and that's the day that I think strength training, that is the day that you really push it very hard, stress your body because your you're sleep is going to be through the roof. It's going to be unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll be able to work out very hard. So then you have a, lots of good protein, may, maybe 25, 50% more than you normally have. Mm-hmm. And you, you give your body the fuel to rebuild your tissues. Oh, the other benefit of, of that happens is that during the partial fast, you're going to activate the stem cells. I know you mentioned it in the intro, but we kind of slid past that. And there's a lot of people nowadays who are advocating stem cells, whether uh, autologous or otherwise. And uh, first of all, it's very pricey. I mean, a minimum is 5,000, but more likely 10 or Mm 20,000. And uh, I'm sure some people get benefits, but there's no question there's a cost to it. And there's some concern about the safety of these things too. But Mm -hmm. I think it's a far better approach to use your own cells and activate them, which clearly keto fasting will help activate. Absolutely. And and for the, you know, you said maybe double your, your typical protein intake, you're still eating this during your six to eight hour window. Yes, yes there's no change there. Just right. to so clarify. And then um, what about car- carbohydrate ranges for people? Yeah, I think that I wouldn't go a lot more than 150 grams of carbs, but those are the days when you have a lot of carbohydrates. There's no question right. about it. That's and 150 is going to feel a lot more than 10 the previous day. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to feel like a feast, like you said. It's going to yeah, be it a, is, a it massive is actually feast. In fact, yeah. most of my days, I feel like I've had a Thanksgiving uh, on Thanksgiving. Right. I'm just I'm right. stuck to the max. I mean, yeah. somewhere about you know between four four thousand and four thousand five hundred calories. Right. Okay. So sequencing this, you've got your intermittent fast day, you've got your keto fast day, then you've got follow that by a refeed day. And I know from your book and just talking to you, you're, you're doing two keto fast days a week. So you recommend yes. between one or two, depending yeah. on the goals and what, what's going on for that person. Yeah. And sometimes I'm not able to do that because I'm traveling. And when I'm traveling, I don't have the luxury of maintaining my weight because if my, if my weight is below a certain threshold, I will not do a keto fast day because I'll lose right. too much weight. Yeah. So, and what, what is that threshold for you in terms of, you know, you mentioned low lean body mass as a contraindication for yeah. for fasting. me, for me, it's, I think I'm probably, I'm under 10% body fat and I, mm-hmm. and, and I like my basal weight is I don't like to go below 175. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to get to 185, and am I not? And, and I'm typically I'm getting closer, and I've gotten closer there since I've started adding the increasing the protein on the partial fasting days. Yeah. So and just so everyone knows, you're a tall guy. I was surprised when I met you because I'm tall. I didn't know you were as tall as you are. So 175 is pretty lean for your someone your height. Yeah. So I'd like to put on a little muscle mass. You know, I'm a, this year I turned 65. So sarcopenia becomes an issue. Uh, you yeah. know, 50% of people who are 80 years old have lost uh, most of their muscle mass. Yeah. So you've got to be aggressive and prevent that inevitability. It's super important for healthy aging. I've I learned that a while ago and I think it doesn't get enough attention, that, which is, of course is why strength training is so important as you age as well. You and know, interestingly, and, and Jason uh, Fung addressed this in his most recent book, uh, The Longevity Plan, I think, I'm not sure the exact title, but it's his most recent book, that your needs and requirements for protein increase as you age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a little counterintuitive. Kind of backwards for most people. And a lot of people develop, you know, low stomach acid and GERD. And so they can't tolerate as much protein when they age and then they end up eating less, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so we got two, if you're doing the full approach and you're doing two keto fast days a week, then you're doing two refeed days a week. So then that leaves three days of just the, of the tip intermittent fast compressed right. food intake, right? Yeah, and whatever normal calories that work for you. Right. Uh, and, and ranges. So, I mean, I, I go over that in my previous book, Bad for Fuel. And another interesting tool that many people may be unaware of is chronometer.com. That's C R O N O M E T E R. 
And, and I, I don't think any expert would disagree. That's probably the finest nutrient tracker out there. It's Absolutely. basically free if you use it on the desktop. And there's, we actually have, a, if you put a backslash Mercola, you get one that's specifically designed for keto fasting. So it, it's, it's a really good tool. Have you used it before, Chris? Uh, we use it all the time with our patients. I mean, there, there are certain nutrients, as you know, that you can't really measure very accurately in any body fluid, like calcium. So we'll often have people track their nutrient intake with with this and um, get a sense of where they're falling short in their diet. And what, what you learn is in many cases, people are not getting enough nutrients, even when they're on a, you know, I'm doing kind of air quotes here, healthy diet. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's really, it's a really super important tool. And you can, as I love the way you've set it up, you put your body type in there and, and your, you know, your, your conditions and, what you're trying to do, and, and then it can give you the actual what you're shooting for with keto fast. Yeah, it's, it's a really elegant system. I'm so delighted that Aaron was open to modifying. He initially designed the site uh, for longevity because he's a, you know, that life extension is one of his primary goals, and uh, it just happens to be work out really well for this. Now, life extension is one of my goals, which is one of the reasons I wrote this book, because yeah. I would love to live beyond 120, which is not really physiologically possible at this point in time. So the strategy that most of us are using is stay as healthy as you can, which has a lot of other benefits yeah. until there's some changes in the technology, which might allow us to jump us jump past the physical barrier. Yeah, absolutely. And with the way things are going, it's not, not at all inconceivable that that could happen. So let's, let's kind of talk about some uh, tips and tricks, so to speak, to make this work. You know, so let's say someone's relatively new to fasting and they're really struggling with appetite cravings, you know, during their periods of either the intermittent fasting or on the keto fast day. What do you, mm -hmm. what do you suggest there? Well, that's the beauty of intermittent fasting, at least after you've done it for a while and your body's developed the metabolic flexibility to, to access your fat stores, break them down and create energy out of them. So initially, if you're part of the 80% of the population who is insulin resistant, you're not able to do that or do that well, then you're going to have cravings. That is normal. That's natural. That's exactly what you'd predict and expect because your glucose levels have dropped and you need energy to burn. You can't burn the stored fat that you have in your body. It's just inaccessible to you as an energy source. So what you, you, you have to sort of struggle through it. And for most people, it's typically not longer than two or three weeks unless you're really metabolically damaged. And in that case, it may take a few months. Mm -hmm. uh, but in that process, you can, as I think mentioned earlier, you can have some healthy fats like coconut oil, which is probably the least expensive. And uh, even better would be MCT oil. And even better than that would be uh, caprylic acid or C8, which is a subtype of uh, MCT oil. It's just a little bit more expensive. But the benefit of these is they all convert to eventually ketones or fatty acids that are A, easily digested, so you don't need to take enzymes with them, and then B, rapidly converted to to energy and, and can give you that missing energy you need until your body's able to make that transition. So once you've achieved that flexibility though, which I said for most people, it's gonna be within that month that you're doing the intermittent fasting, mm -hmm. then you, you'll know you just aren't hungry. And I'm sure you can testify to this as can hundreds if not thousands of your patients who've made this transition. It's hunger is not an issue. Yeah, yeah, it's actually the opposite in my experience and in experience of many of my patients is when, when that ketone production starts, you get less hungry and you can actually go for, for longer periods without feeling those cravings, even then when you're eating food, which is really, again, counterintuitive for most people, but that's, that's, I've had so many people say that. And that's been my experience too. Yes. It's just amazing. So now that doesn't discount the fact that some people may have a psychological craving, not a physiological, but a psychological. Yeah. And they just, you know, just want something in their mouth, want to chew on something. Absolutely. So, what I, so what I do, you know, I have, I have the good fortune of living in Florida. So I, I have like over a thousand aloe plants. Mm. And every day I cut off like two or three leaves and I just suck on the gel. Right. And, you know, that's just that. I think there's a lot of good health benefits aside from helping to address that issue, which I don't really need, need, a, need it for that issue. But it's kind of nice. Mm. You know, it's just like you're chewing on some, something that essentially has no calories. Right. Yeah, absolutely. 
So another thing that we both are big believers in, which I mean, you know, I, I I sometimes think of like if we're thinking about health health optimizing health, also optimizing health span, not just lifespan, but health mm-hmm. span. You know, what are the biggest levers? You know, obviously a, a healthy, nutrient dense, real food diet. I think fasting and and periods of ketosis are at the top of the list. And I would also put sauna at mm-hmm. the top and, and, you know, hot and cold and some, and possibly cycling between those two at the top yes. of the list too. And I know you're a big believer in that too. So yeah. how do you use sauna in, you know, with, how do you cycle sauna use into this protocol or this way, this approach that you're doing and tell us a little bit more about your approach there. Yeah, well, I'm absolutely on the same page as you. There's, there's no question that I believe that the cyclical use of uh, exposure to hot and cold will help improve your health. It's just pretty well. There's many studies that su- strongly suggest that, certainly the Finns, but they uh, use a traditional sauna, which is a little bit more challenging and not as readily available in the U.S. unless you go to one of these big institutions. Right. So, you know, what most people are using in their home because it's so much more convenient. And in the Finns, almost everyone has a sauna in their home. I mean, yeah. you can't, I don't think thin. you can build a home in, in yeah. Finland without a sauna. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> They're but it's there. miserably cold there most of the year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, here in the U.S., we don't do that. So most people have resorted to using infrared saunas. And that was been the rage for a long time. There's some, some major problems with it, which I'd like to address. So they are, were initially started as the far infrared saunas. And almost all the initial units had really high EMS, specifically the magnetic fields or through the roof. So you'd be damaging yourself from a molecular perspective from exposure to these frequencies. But then there's other issues with that. And I was convinced that you could modulate the, the, the far infrared to be the best sauna. So much so that when I was at Bulletproof in 2017, there was an exhibitor there named Brian Richards yeah. who founded the company Sauna Space. And it seemed like a bright guy. So I went ahead of a discussion with him, wanted to be respectful, but my intention was to sort of decimate him <laughs> with these arguments. And uh, it turns out the exact opposite occurred and he decimated me because and he converted me to this, this understanding of the amazing benefits of near infrared saunas. Yes. And, you know, one of the primary ones is that the sun, sunlight, people don't understand it, but, you know, 40% of the, the rays from sunlight radiation are, are infrared. Yep. And mostly near infrared. I mean, there's some far, but it's mostly near. Mm-hmm. So that would strongly suggest that ex- regular exposure to these frequencies is probably a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> and just so you know, I have a sauna space and oh, Brian, has, Brian has been on, on the podcast. I have the oh, EMF, so, I'm so uh, glad EMF free uh, uh, sauna space. So yeah, we're big believers in that as well. Yeah, I, I love Brian. I did an interview yeah. with him too. And he's just, I mean, he, he absolutely converted me to this understanding. So I'm preaching yeah. to the choir with your, your yeah, with the listeners. Yeah. 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 So I, I'll skip over that. Just listen to your previous. Oh, interview. no, it's great. I'm, I'm just curious, like, how do you, do you time, do you do any specific timing with the sauna? You, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to go further into the details of the difference between the far and the near. But, you know, the, well, Jimmy, let me just mention that you have the MF free one. I Did do, you? yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, so then you know. That's the exact same one I use. It is, in my view, the best sauna on the market. Uh, it is not the most convenient sauna to use or yeah. practical, but it is it is the best from a health perspective because you're it, it helps put your body into a parasympathetic mode yeah. uh, because you're shielding all the frequencies coming out. The whole sauna is grounded and you're just getting these healthy benefits and it's putting your your body in a state which, you could, which it could benefit from to detoxify. So one of the, as I mentioned, alluded to earlier, when you're doing the partial fasting, unlike intermittent fasting, you're going to, even in intermittent fasting, you're going to stimulate autophagy to a degree, but a relatively minor degree compared to what you do with keto fasting. So the, more, the morning after your keto fast, you are really going to be excreting toxins. So one of the ways that you can help facilitate the excretion of those toxins through your sweat is through regular use of the near-infrared sauna. Now, if you can't afford the $8,000, the EMF-free sauna space, and many people can't, and there's nothing wrong with that, uh, then there, you can 
get a lesser expensive version. They sell them, Saunaspace does, of course, but you can even go uh, and use sauna therapy by, pick up, purchase the book, Sauna Therapy by Lawrence Wilson and make one yourself. Just be careful on choosing the materials wisely because you are heating this thing up. And if you've got toxic materials in though, you're going to be breathing them in and you're sort of defeating the purpose of doing it. And just to clarify to the listeners, the basic sauna space unit the bulbs are shielded from EMF. So they're in Faraday cages and you're not getting EMF exposure from the bulbs. The difference with the full EMF protective units is that it's shielding EMF from outside of the sauna, from coming yeah. in. And so it's got a liner around the whole sauna that keeps you know ambient EMF from coming in the sauna. So you, I just wanted to clarify that you know, Brian's really good about even with the basic sauna that there's no EMF exposure from the bulbs themselves. Yes, and and part of the reason for that, and let me it, it continue to in, in, improve the clarification, is that not only although is the shielding there, but the, it is all that shielding is grounded, right, which allows to dissipate the electrical fields that you're exposed to uh, straight down to the ground. Mm-hmm. So um, you got to be careful about the grounding component too. Absolutely. So just to put this all together, uh, the the week would look like. You've got your intermittent fast day, a keto fast day. Mm-hmm. The, the next morning would be sauna use. Mm-hmm. And then that's going to be your hard strength training day. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and your and refeed day. Yeah. And let me tell you another benefit of happening because I forgot to mention this. What, and I don't, I, I don't, not even sure if I put it in the book, but when you are partial fasting, your growth hormone increases by about two to 300%. Now you're going to say, that doesn't make sense. How does that happen? Because we know that growth hormone normally stimulates IGF-1. And when you have high GF-1, that is an absolute shutdown for autophagy. But what happens is that the liver becomes relatively, uh, where many of these growth hormone receptors are, uh, becomes resistant. The receptors to it become resistant. So you do get lower IGF-1 levels, but you still get the high uh, growth hormones. So what you want to do on the days of the partial fast, before you eat your re- magical refeed feast, that's when you strength train. You do not eat food while you're strength training. Yeah. Do it fasting. And you'll, you'll radically improve the benefits. Yeah, absolutely. Important clarification there just for sequencing. So you, you've got your sauna uh, or your exercise. I actually... I like to exercise before I use the sauna because I find that I sweat more readily, more quickly. Yeah. If we're splitting hairs here, I'll typically. No, 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 no. Ideally, you know, in my case, I I see a personal trainer and I go to his studio. So it's pragmatically and practical for me to do that. But yeah, so I do a little bit of different exercises. I'll do body weight exercises and maybe go on the, my elliptical, but you know, my strength training is after it. Yeah, and we're talking about the last few percent here in terms of optimization. So yeah. don't, yeah, don't. You'll still get a huge benefit if you're not able to sequence it in the perfect way that we're talking about. But my, I know my listeners are really into, you know, <laughs> optimizing as much as possible. So I like to at least lay it out there. So yeah, then you do your refeed that day, and you're feeling like a million bucks when you do the the refeeds, and even just the compressed six to eight hour window in general. I know I get a lot of questions from this from uh, about this for patients. How do you approach it? Do you eat just a couple meals typically, or do you eat more than a couple meals during that period? What's your personal approach? Well, it, it's not much different than I, my normal days, except I eat more food. Yeah. So instead of having two eggs in my salad, I have three eggs. Right. Uh, and instead of having vegan protein, in my smoothie, I switch over to whey concentrate. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot more branched chain amino acids. I change the, the, the ratio of those things around. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's the sequencing uh, and the timing, the cycling that is so important. It's, and it's so massively overlooked. You just, if you don't understand, then you get the timing off. You're going to sabotage most of your benefits. Yeah. So you're basically eating, at the, sitting down and eating the same number of times. You're just adding... Yeah, the more calories, and you're also switching the types of pro- maybe the type and the amount of protein and carbs. Yeah, now, and if you're going to eat later, that would be a day to eat later. Now, let me caution you, especially if you have an aura ring, and you probably know this already. If you do that on that day that you're strengthening and you're really pushing it, yeah. your readiness score is going to go down the next right. day. 
maybe yeah. by 10 or 20 points, right. typically 20 points. Yeah. Yeah. So don't be surprised. That's, that's, that's good. That's fine. That's part of the normal cycling in and yeah. out. It's a, that cycle of catabolism. We, we never define these terms, but let me just do this is this process of, of breakdown, which is, you know, in a, if a necessary component of life and of, and then anabolism is repair and regrowth. So it's this breakdown and cycling between catabolism and anabolism that we're going for in this protocol. So it shouldn't be alarming that you see the readiness score drop because that's just part of that cycle. Yeah. And as it's what we're doing with this, as I mentioned right in the beginning, is we're replicating ancestral patterns, which has yeah. just essentially been abandoned by the, the typical diet. Absolutely. Well, I'm really excited about this strategy. We've actually already started using it in the clinic with patients and uh, having some good results. So we have, we, we typed up a whole thing and directing them to your book and your cookbook. And then we, it's, it's already, it was very, it's pretty close. That's why I was so excited when I saw your book. It's very close to what I was already doing, but I, I really like how you kind of systematized it and patients are finding it really easy to follow and, and they're getting some, uh, I think some really good results. So I'm, I'm excited about the book. It's called Keto Fast. And then there's also, you mentioned the cookbook. I know yeah. when, when it's Keto Fast out and then when is the Keto, keto Fast Keto Fast out? comes out, uh, I believe, April 30th. And the cookbook will be out shortly after that, within a week or two, I think. Awesome. Yeah, and the cookbook yeah. is super helpful too because I think this will be a, you know, a little bit of a new approach for people and just getting a sense of, what they can be eating during these various phases is, is really helpful. Well, so. I, I, let me just tell you how delighted I am to hear that you, that was your endorsement for this process, because myself personally, and most of our staff have enormous respect for your clinical wisdom and judgment and your ability to articulate these things. And the fact that you, we, we sort of paralleled on, on the same conclusion is just remarkably reaffirming. Yeah. I love that too. And I, I'm a, I'm an early adopter. <laughs> As, as I know you are, you're the probably the earliest of the early adopters. Um, so I have great uh, appreciation for all the, the work you've done and the way you've moved the conversation forward over and over again on many of these different topics. So thanks for uh, putting this out there. The book is, is Keto Fast and then Keto Fasting Cookbook. Highly recommend it. It's really the, the best way that I've seen so far of safely and effectively implementing fasting and ketogenic diet and avoiding some of the pretty significant risks and downsides to um, you know, ongoing ketogenic dieting and, and water fasting. So definitely check it out. And Joe, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really enjoyed our chat. And what, what's next for you at this point? Well, um, I interestingly listened to a uh, interview that uh, Tim Ferriss did with Peter Drucker, not mm -hmm. Peter Drucker, Jim Collins, who wrote right. a book Great. Yep, one sure. mentor, you probably heard it, but he, his, his mentor was Peter Drucker. Yep. And I was surprised to find out that Peter, who's really one of the icons in the business world, wrote two thirds of his book after the age of 50, 65. Ah, interesting. So that was a real inspiration to me because I hit 65 this year. So I'm, I'm in, a, in an affirmation that I, you know, I really do enjoy writing and I've got this really good, I've got to share this RSS feed with you. Uh, that so you can get to PubMed. So I'm I'm, re yeah. I'm reviewing about two thousand articles a year now, yeah. not to stay abstracts, but the actual articles. Yeah. And uh, so I'm just writing books. My next one is EMF mm -hmm. that should be hopefully out either later this year or early next year, and then one on longevity, which is you know probably five books I think. Yeah, yeah, it's a big topic <laughs> that's for sure. Well, great. We'll look forward to the next one and ha and uh, have a wonderful weekend. Pleasure to talk to you. All right. Thanks. That's the end of this episode of Revolution Health Radio. If you appreciate the show and want to help me create a healthier and happier world, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. They really do make a difference. If you'd like to ask a question for me to answer on a future episode, you can do that at chriscresser.com slash podcast question. You can also leave a suggestion for someone you'd like me to interview there. If you're on social media, you can follow me at twitter.com slash chriscresser or facebook.com slash chriscresserlac. I post a lot of articles and research that I do throughout the week there that never makes it to the blog or podcast, so it's a great way to stay abreast of the latest developments. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.